Hello, and welcome to Artbox D&V. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I traveled up to Pennsylvania to talk to Mark Wagner. Mark is a collage artist, makes physical books, and from time to time, writes poetry. In his collage work, he uses U.S. currencies, mainly George Washington, who's on the U.S. dollar bill, to tell stories and myths. We talk about his start into the arts, the themes he explores, and could they apply to cryptocurrencies, and what's something people may not understand about his work. So, with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Still, that is pretty impressive with your son doing his, his layouts and then checking them off. Yeah, he's... Uh, that is crazy. The... Well, I also like this piece sweet, over here too. The sweet sorrow of Hugo. You have the George with uh, eyes poked out, and then you have uh, looks like one of your your son's uh, pieces of work right there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both. They both help. <laughs> Henry came in and he wanted to cut up some money one day, so that was funny. Although, oh. and he was. Um, oh, so I was monitoring what is you know. Um, what his impression about money was as he was growing up and i'd be like do you know what this is do you know who that is and um he would be like that's money yeah you make art out of it oh and you can buy stuff with it that's pretty perceptive and i like that the and you can buy stuff with it came second yeah it's like oh wait and you could use it to buy things yeah. and then he, his impression of george washington is that george washington is like an action adventure hero <laughs> because like He's always like fighting monsters or, you know, like in a boat that's capsizing or. And, you know, it, it's funny that that you put him in those situations because I always think about him crossing the Delaware, that piece, that art. Yeah. And it's like that that is another one of those adventurous stories, you know, or the story or the fable of him cutting down a cherry tree. And that that is yeah. also pretty funny to me. Are you too. recording now? Is oh, this, yeah, yeah. We're, just, we're talking. Can we, yeah, can yeah. we just? This, yeah, yeah, yeah. This sorry. Could, I mean, this could just be the this could be the, the we podcast. We could do the show. Well, all right. Well, let's circle back then. Let's let okay. people know who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for doing this, by the way. Okay. Uh, so what's your origin story and how did you get your start into visual art? I liked making things all while I was growing up. I came from a family of people who liked making things. You know, my mom made a lot of our clothes. There was always crafts going on, needlework. I learned, she taught me how to use the sewing machine when I was five years old. Oh, geez. She went to craft fairs and sold stuffed animals as an avocation. Hmm. Dad was a woodworker. My brothers are woodworkers. Like we come from a family of makers in central Wisconsin. And so I was always making things. And then dabbled in art and didn't take art classes in high school just because I didn't like the art teacher. <laughs> and then when I got to college and was studying some serious stuff, you know, like math and chemistry and doing pretty good at them, I rewarded myself with taking a drawing class. And then I realized that that's what I wanted to be doing. So yeah. um, switched gears from the hard sciences to the soft arts. And yeah, that's where it started. So... Did you just start gravitating towards certain mediums, uh, you know, like when you started working with the letterpress, stuff like that? Because I, I feel personally that that is somewhat of its own art form. Yeah, let, letterpress came a little bit later in the game for me. Oh, you I know, see. You know, I drew and then I was a painter. I felt like I was making good paintings for like the first three years that I was a painter. And then I just started making shitty paintings. <laughs> like they look bad. Yeah. But while I was doing that, I was taking some printmaking classes 
And I'd had sort of a literary interest too, because writing poetry, probably bad poetry. And that's um, objective now. You can't say <laughs> uh, subjective, objective. Um, no, I think there, I can have opinions about things. It's not just subjective. There good exists in the world. And my poetry at the time was not good. Um, but there were, you know, there were, there were friends of mine were like submitting their poems to these publications and, you know, like trying to get them in these little magazines and right. sending them off and getting them back and getting accepted or rejected. And, I just on a lark, I was like, why don't we make our own books with our own writing? And that's where my interest in making books came from. Ah, um, That's not making book like being a bookie. Right. Um, that's <laughs> making books like sewing, printing, publishing, self-publishing. I was about to ask about the, the, the process. Would you actually hand sew and make them uh, like from a, a book, classic bookmaking sense? Yeah. Yeah. Stitching. Jeez. Yeah. So you were that hardcore. Yeah. Hardcore core pre industrial like it was this was back in the 90s and like there were you know people had desktop publishing then for yep. kind of the first time you know like people could do layout on their computer and that sort of went together with you know there were kinkos do you remember kinkos oh yeah um kinkos geez you, you know we would go to kinkos in the middle of the night and like xerox our weird zines with our collages and just like sit down and geez, you could sit on their tables there and, you know, literally 24 hours. So yeah. at two o'clock in the morning, you're like cutting and pasting and going and Xeroxing something to a different size and going back. And that whole world of like nouveau publishing and zine making dovetailed with a traditional book binding, fine letterpress world that was going on and had been going on for, you know, half a century. Oh, yeah. Um, and I ended up in a class with Walter Hamity, who's sent, you know, dozens of people into lifelong bookmaking habits. Um, I thought I was just signing up for like, um, like a book binding class. Right. But instead, it was a book arts class, hmm. which like opened up a big door into like a weird fun place of divergent forms for books and publishing objects that were like book-ish, but, you know, the average person encountering them wouldn't really call them books. Hmm. Books that were, in a book you have basically like a kinetic sculpture, you know, it's tactile, it moves around, it's got heft. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different ways to approach it. You know, sometimes they're about the subject matter, sometimes they're about the visuals, sometimes they're about the like materials that are being used. Sometimes wow. they're about all those things, but it was like a, it's a fertile sort of crossroads for a bunch of different creative pursuits to like meet. And that's where it was, you know, doing, doing books that got me into, you know, the letterpress in order to put into the books. And it got me into collage because there was, there's a lot of glue up. Yeah. Um, and it oh, gave yeah. me lots of practice with gluing, um, sort of pre-set me up for doing the work that I do today. Yeah, um, I could see that now, the, the path. Which is like, got a technical bit that, you know, still the thing inside me that like geeks out about process and um, materials and stuff. You know, I would addition, you know, additioning a book and you're doing the same thing again and again, you know, repetitive work. And that's what a lot of my currency collage, you know, involves these days. It's the same thing done over and over again, you know, to you know, to create an effect. Before you started getting doing, uh, using 
currency for your collages. Were those days more formative of the process for yourself uh, when you did earlier collage work? Was um, it part of that process from the books or was it just, just something that just naturally gravitated? Uh, you know, it developed out of developed out of the book work. Okay. Um, okay. Certainly. I think the, you know, a few stepping stones along the way is doing lots of glue up, doing lots of repeated actions, doing the same collage over and over again, you know, with the artist books, sometimes you're making an original book. Right. It's not like you're making an original book and then making copies of the book. No, this is a one-off you're, you're talking You're doing about. the same. It's like there's a one-of-a-kind one book. Or when I would do an edition, I would do the same collage into each copy of the book. I see, I see. And I did sort of my, my best seller as an artist bookmaker was called Smoke in My Dreams. And it was sort of about the aesthetics of smoking and like the perfected environment of the dream world. Yeah. And it was a little bit about, you know, mortality and a little bit about, you know, like smoke curling in the air and the sand in the bottom of ashtrays. And to illustrate that book, uh, which was an edition of 70, there was an, a camel cigarette package mm. that I cut up for each copy of the book. And so the camel was on, you know, the cover with, um, you know, with the head from a stamp on it. <laughs> and um, the palm trees were on a different page as part of a larger illustration that needed palm trees on it. And the pyramid was on a different page. And then the silhouette of the camel, like each copy of the book had a full camel's cigarette package in it. And people responded to it well, especially, you know, because they, especially because they knew the design yeah. of the camel package especially if they were smokers and Camel was their brand, and then they really knew it. Yeah. So at one point when I was doing this Camel collages, and, you know, I had my friends who were smokers would collect their cigarette packages for me. And so I had, you know, stacks and stacks of cigarette packages sure to, <laughs> to, to use, and I could use them again and again. Like it was sort of like an endless amount. And so I used all those textures. I would, you know, make the camel have a really long neck that snaked around. <laughs> I would take palm trees from 20 packages and have a forest of palm trees. Oh, and then I was like, you know, what other pieces of paper can I do this same stuff with? Right. And I was like, okay, popular pieces of paper, you know, like classic design, and then just sort of tripped over, tripped over the dollar bill and just had no idea where it would go. That's what I love about the work is that you've taken this, this one object that we always use for transactions and you've made it into multiple things and you're using it to tell stories. You know, you're telling it to, you know, to make commentary on what's going on. And that is, is uh, almost like an infinite amount of light or creativity right there. In my humble opinion, I, I kept thinking about when, uh, when I was in school, uh, we always had to draw these sandbags, just bags, like brown bags with sand in them. And we drew those for nine weeks. That's all we drew. I mean, we had figure drawings, things like that with the same teacher, but for nine weeks, we just did, that's all we would draw is just these bags. And you get sick of drawing these bags. And by the end of it, some of the uh, other students in the class, including myself, started kind of adding a little embellishments behind it. And, uh, you know, at first we were scared to, because he didn't know if he was going to yell at you for doing that, but he didn't say anything. By the end of that class, people were turning the bags into other things. And after that class, he, uh, God rest his soul, 
would say, yeah, you finally figured it out, how to draw. Because <laughs> that was the last class before you moved on. And, and so it, it's, I, I always think about that when I look at your work, about how you're able to take this one thing, this piece of paper, and you've made it into so many different stories. So that, that uh, I, I love that. I love the creativity that you do for that. Um, thanks. Speaking to that, it's, it's related to the bill too. It's true. Um, money is a total mind fuck. Like yeah. it's a, it's a weird, it's so weird. Like it's, it's almost magical or metaphysical or spiritual. Like, I mean, it's also like, like filthy, like, you know, it's got the negative aspects of it too. Oh yes. You know, the idea with money is that you can change it into anything, you know, like the reason why the bills, you know, folded up in my wallet are there is because I can go downtown and like, if I want to change those bills into a cup of coffee, I can change them into a cup of coffee. If I want to change them into, you know, a burger, I can change them into a burger. You know, if I want to change them into a car, well, you know, I need more, but <laughs> like you can the change concept. them into a car. So right. it's, um, there's all these weird, like the things that I do, the things I do with imagery and with the collage are, it's all like metaphors for things that, that the dollars are doing anyway, um, in a different sense. It was like I was saying to you earlier, talking about the iron gates that you were showing me. And it's like, it, it is so many different layers is so interesting that you can use it metaphorically so many different layers. And uh, it is interesting that, like you said, that uh, you can go buy coffee or a car or a house, you know, or a mic stand, you know? Yeah. It, it's like, it is uh, magic in a sense, like you were just saying, you know, it's just, it made, uh, it made this in a way, in a metaphysical way, it made this, this mic stand. Kind of. Like I said, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I might be stretching there and I admit that. No, no, no. It's, it's all metaphysical. Like, I mean, it's the go-between between you and the people who made the mic stand. Right. When I started making the work, you know, I was just like transforming the, the, the object, you know, I was just, I just liked the design, you know, and it took me years to realize like the, the full ramifications of like, I'm cutting up money, I'm making images out of it, you know, and there's like visceral reaction of people to like, to cutting up the money in the first place. Oh yeah, that must have been interesting. And then there's also like, I keep on expecting people to be angry at me for like cutting up money. Like, how dare you do that? There's so many poor people in the world, but but mostly people are just happy to see it <laughs> destroyed because you know money is just like everybody's bugbear. Yeah, you know, no, in true. one way or another, like you're gonna cut that up. Excellent. Yeah. You know, here here's some scissors for you. Yeah, yeah. let me watch you do that. Uh, it's like doing living vicariously. Well, yeah, I, I think I am also living vicariously for, for you to cut up the money for me. <laughs> <laughs> I save my notes from collages after I'm done with them. And I'm always like reusing the same figure or like retreating the same subject matter, but like bigger or smaller or more condensed. I go back to things that I left, you know, behind decades ago. I'm always in, in danger of making some more artist books. <laughs> um, because the book form is so great, yeah. you know, I mean, I've, you know, some of the catalogs that I've had with my art shows have been sort of tending towards zines again. Yeah. I'm circling back around to that stuff. And even my choice of career as an artist, I love it, but like in another, you know, down another path, I, I felt like I could have been a writer. And so I haven't given up on the idea of like working some writing projects, you know, parallel to the art projects. 
um, and having them intertwine more often yeah, um, in the form of, in the form idea. of, in the form of like, you know, comics or illustrations or sort of artist statements that read a little bit more like short stories to accompany, you know, this piece or that piece or having a number of collages that tie together into a narrative or a collection of stories. So like, yeah, back to the books and uh, mixing some writing in are things that I want to get at. I mean, you're not going to see them tomorrow, probably no. not next year, but you might see them but you know, they'll the be year there. after. Well, we kind of touched on this a little bit just a second ago here, but uh, what or how does your work say about your concept and themes? I mean, I want I want the work to function on a bunch of different levels, right? Right. Like I want, I want it to be enjoyable. I want it to be like well executed and pretty, but I also, because I'm cutting up money, I want it to be about money in some way, some, yeah. um, which is not a difficult thing to do, because everything sort of like cycles back to, cycles back to that thing. But I also, also within within money, you know, like there's there's power structures implied by you know the the object, the the mm -hmm. bills. Mm -hmm. There's you know political systems. There's sort of social constructs around it, and I like the subject matter of the of the work. I like the themes in the work to like reflect money or issues about money on that on that level too so you know you'd mentioned the uh, wrought iron fences yep that pop up again and again or hedges also you know and they they both are are pretty you know like you have a hedge you know because it looks nice yeah and you have a, a nicely made wrought iron fence and you can appreciate it aesthetically but also those are barriers that keep you know people on one side and people on the other side right so i like to put as much commentary in the work as i can especially on larger pieces some of the work is just pretty you know like i make a make a vase of flowers and like and it's just a vase of flowers and it's just a vase of flowers right. or you know it's a vase of flowers that suggests the themes that money can make things happen you know money is like a wealth and nature is wealth too so even the deceptively simple ones i want you know there to be more to it but i like to i like to signal those things you know and i like to um lead the the viewer into thinking about more things and i like to put a little bug in their brain and leave breadcrumbs and never want to give them an answer yeah i'd never want to spoon feed them an answer unless i'm making like a protest poster or like an illustration that's you know supposed Some, to fulfill a function right but the art for art's sake i would rather like suggest a bunch of stuff and then just like open it up for a discussion I see what you're saying, like using the vase of flowers, going back to that, is because it could be just a welcoming way, you know, it's just, it's pretty. And then you start really to ponder, why is it pretty? Why did he chose this subject? Starts asking questions in your mind, and that's when that starts burning in your brain about some of the stuff you did. You know, it's like looking at some of the stuff in here, you know, it makes me think that uh, some of the, the fables and some of the, the classic uh, stories that you're using. And it makes me wonder, it's like, I wonder why are choosing to go in some of those, like the, the, the matador or not the matador, the, 
Minotaur. The Minotaur. Thank you. Yeah, space there for a second. Like the Minotaur. It's a, and uh, you don't have to tell me that because I, I want to find out on my own. But it's like you're using a lot of classic stories in that sense. And it's also so still relevant today. Yeah. Can I just describe for your listeners like yes, some please. of the... Yes. I mean, you you guys, I, I really hope you guys go and look at the work. Um, because yes. Go I to his website. Try to do a good job at it. And I do a good job at it because I like you guys to look at it. Right. But with the, with the dollar bill, I can, can make it into a bunch of different things. When people see it, they don't necessarily think, oh, this is a dollar bill that's been transformed into these other things. They, they're like, what the, what the heck is this? Right. Oftentimes the work involves taking the little bits of imagery that are already on the bills, like there's a little bitty leaves on there and plants, and those things grow up into large plants. So like what's a couple leaves on one dollar bill? When I get $200 bills worth of those couple leaves together, it's it becomes like, like a hedge maze right. or uh, a topiary figure. Take George Washington's portrait from the center of the bill, and I build a little body around him so that he's a, a little six-inch tall actuated figure, you know, So and then clothed, you know, so he's clothed like a businessman or he's clothed like a action-adventure hero or he's riding a horse and build a, a world that's sort of entirely of the dollar bill as though like you dropped a dollar bill in Narnia. You know, and it, like, <laughs> grew, a, I like that example. Yeah. Grew up into, do you remember the, in the story where yep. the, like they dropped a gold coin and the gold coin grew into a gold tree? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I like to build, I like to build a little world inside the picture frame, you know, and everything inside the picture frame is literally made out of, Money, money, and it, well, it, I mean, literally made out of banknotes, American bank, technically banknotes, yeah. and and also the flat use of color too. I mean, it's like you have to use what's there. Yeah, I get green. Yeah, you sometimes get green. if I spend a lot of money, I can go get like old silver certificates and get a little blue in there. Okay, from the seals or red. Sometimes I mix in just a little bit of foreign currency, right? Which tends to be more colorful and decorative. Oh yeah, but I don't do that very often. So that I mean, that's what we're. That's what we're, we're talking about when we're talking about your work is yeah. breaking down of the smaller and smaller things into almost like an atom. Yeah, yeah. Almost. Yeah, and then reassembling. And then yeah, reassembling and make it into George fighting a Fighting minotaur. a minotaur yeah. in the middle of hedge maze. In hedge maze. For God knows what reason. Yeah, that's that's for me, the viewer, to figure out. You know, I think he's fighting him for, uh, you know, some gas money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, something more serious about the, you know, the hell, the good and evilness in the world, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Some moralistic idea. Certainly, there's lots of moralistic ideas that work into ideas, the world. right? In yeah. air quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I like um, George's. Um, keep on referring to him as George, like he's a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, he's, you know, he becomes an actor in, in all these different scenes, and like sometimes he's got the upper hand, and sometimes he's the underdog, and you know, like he faces a lot of monsters. Like there's just know, like Hercules does, gigantic bears that are you know eating him, and he's being pulled apart, or he's like bleeding out in green blood or, you know, sometimes he's just like riding a horse through town. He's just riding the horse through the sunset. Yeah. <laughs> or he's fighting Hydra, you know. <laughs> exactly. So um, with all this deconstruction that you're doing with, with money, uh, does deconstruction of the fiat, the money, uh, help emphasize the workings of behavior, meaning, and assumptions of it? Yeah, I mean, everybody needs a reminder that money is not a thing. <laughs> like, 
it's dumb. It's dumb in one of those ways that it sounds dumb when you say it in one of those ways that like, you know, deep things are deep things sound dumb. Right. Uh, Like money doesn't exist. Like, yeah, it's just a social convention. You know, it's just a piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper. Or in most cases, you know, for the majority of money, it's even less than that. It's just like a blip in a computer. And people pretend that that computer is at the bank branch down the street, even though it's like off in the nowhere. Yeah. So money gets a bad rap and it deserves some of that bad rap. But like it's a it's an ambivalent thing. It leads to it leads to greed and like jealousy and like fighting and stealing and that's kind of stuff. And like people get down on it for that. And like, heck yeah. Um, but also, you know, it's based in this thing that's like um it's based in this real like human kind of like Homo sapien thing, like um reflexes of ours Mm. you know we'd like to trade things yeah with each other we like to swap them we like to collect them yeah and it's you know like those the some of the some of the things behind money aren't like bad things they're just like natural human impulses that have been like misguided and so you know like cowrie shells being traded um you know back you know, thousands of years ago. I, I don't know. There's, the history of money is like a, a whole other, like, fascinating, fascinating thing. Like, read about it. It's awesome. And it, all the changes are awesome. Light there's, reading, right? Just a little light reading before bed. There's light reading versions of that stuff that there's good authors that make it compelling. You, you can find boring, freaking uh, economics yeah. textbooks that make it all seem drab and make you want to fall asleep and, and but like to, there's some great histories of money out there and they're like really fascinating you know like david graber's debt the first five thousand years um where he sort of flips the story of money on its on its head it's a weighty tome it's good and he's great he's a lefty he's credited with having written uh, we are the 99 percent oh he died like a, a year ago not that old, like a real tragedy. Um, but he's written some great, you know, uh, and his writing's all over the place. He wrote that book, uh, Bullshit Jobs. Great stuff. So he kind of turns the early history of money on end and was like, no, people were using systems of debt before and during and at various times after the invention of money. But, you know, there's some really great, like, little books that Boyle wrote, The Little Book of Money. I think I've seen that book. Okay. Yeah, and it's just like, a, it's just like you know, bubblegum facts. Yeah. You know, or programs like Planet Money mm-hmm. on MBR, oh, yeah. like yeah. the history of money is speckled with like super fascinating little like storylets and turns, weird turns. It's, it's it's fascinating, not boring at all. Where were we? Oh, so the fiat, our current iteration of money, you know, it's not written in stone. Nope. Certainly it's a social convention that people have like we've arrived at. And not too long ago, we had other social conventions that governed it, you know, like 150 years ago, you know, money was like universally assumed to be be metal. Yeah, that's true. And now, obviously, the times are changing again with like electronic money, even before cryptocurrency. ATMs were a game changer. Like there's all these like little technological shifts that shift the public mood. And we're all still dealing with, you know, attitudes that were like instilled into humans, you know, 150 years ago and 500 years ago and a thousand years ago, you know, like all of those old sort of modes and language surrounding money are still with us, you know, worth is salt 
from when Roman soldiers used to get paid in salt. Thank you, sir. I was about to bring that up. And I'm sure, you know, loads of other idioms that we just are, they've become so second nature to us that we don't even stop and think we're like realize where their connection came from. Yeah, 100%. Like, um, I cut up money because it's changing and that stuff's interesting. And, you know, fiat is ask a libertarian or, and like, yeah. you know, they'll like definitely have a, a particular yeah. opinion that's, you know, going to be negative yeah but all of that stuff together makes for you know fascinating storytelling and fascinating reference material yeah i love to wallow in that stuff well i would i would think so i mean you know you do a lot of research without getting didactic by yeah. the way like well, i right. don't i want people to be able to like look at my work and enjoy it without any of that stuff you know like i want six-year-olds to really enjoy my work yeah i i agree i think six-year-olds should also be able to get something gleaming something from it as well from their own minds at that time yeah, I agree. But if you can get monsters and economic theory at the same time, I think that piece is a win. I, I would say that not only a win, it's a gold star. Yeah. So that slides into this next question. Do you think the, the themes you explore, which we kind of just were talking about some of these themes, uh, with the money uh, apply to cryptocurrencies? Yeah, I think the cryptocurrency world and, you know, what I do here are very sympathetic. And I've had some great conversations with cryptocurrency dudes they've been all dudes so far yeah and we we've had some fun geeking out about that stuff yeah about the similarities because you know topically it's so different you know like i'm a physical guy you know like i'm cutting up things i'm making collages you know they're physical objects you know they're time consuming but the digital crypto guys are like you know they're partaking in esoteric knowledge too you know, they are, you know, questioning and reacting to fiat currency and the, you know, states, you know, controlling, well, you know, controlling the, the, the medium of exchange. Yeah, I was about so to say, yeah. like, yeah, there's there's loads of crossovers. And, you know, I've done NFTs, you know, I have some Ethereum from the sales of those NFTs. I find the world fascinating uh, and I'm super curious to I'm super curious to see, you know, how the next decade of money and crypto play out i yeah. think it'll i think it'll be fascinating because a lot of people are starting to talk about now the uh, 3.0 internet which is more decentralized and in some aspects it is but i'm very interested to see what happens you know, combined with cryptocurrencies and with the, the 3.0 internet when it comes to that especially with uh, nfts you know because it's those things blew up this year um yeah, yeah what was your reaction to that when they when you started like going wow these things are blowing up what was your reaction it was storied and it was, you know, in depth and it was in real time as I was seeing things happen on the, on the Instagrams. Um, <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it was, I had done an NFT not knowing what it was in February. I was invited to by uh, these folks who, you know, run an auction site, Scene House. Okay. Um, I didn't know what it was. Kind of no one knew what it was. I mean, by no one, I mean like the general public. Right. Like the geeks were already into it and making it happen. But uh, it was before there were any like New York Times headlines and like... When Christie's at that point had just... Yeah, yeah. that was it, that was like a month before Christie's like au auction, the like big... Thing. I, I want to say they they um one of the big things was uh the beeple and then yeah um but they started kind of flirting around with it before um what year was that 2019 so i went to an 
auction actually in New York. Anyway, sorry, I don't want to get off topic. So yeah, so they started getting involved and they started getting really involved. And so they, you said that they approached you about doing this NFT and you're like, yeah, sure. Why, why not? Yeah. They auctioned off a, a collage with an NFT attached to it, which I kind of think of as like a um, certificate of authenticity, kind of. That is actually the best explanation for it. And yeah. then it was while they were doing that where they were like, we're going to put out this addition too. And I was like, do I need to do anything? And they're like, no, well, you don't, except we'll send you half the money. <laughs> You're like, okay. So, that sounds great. <laughs> Not doing anything and getting half the money sounds good. And it was like, <laughs> it was great. You know, I got more for that collage than I would have if, at you know, if I had sold so it speak. myself and yeah. like I got some money from the, the NFTs for, you know, like the virtual thing. And, um, yeah, you'd ask me my reaction to, I mean, yeah, initially, I, yeah, I, your I, you initial know, reaction. I, yeah. I'm, I get excited when artists make money. Like nothing um, is wrong call, with that, by the way, right? Me, like old school or call me capitalist, but like, <laughs> I'm a fan of artists making money. Like anytime an artist making money, like, I don't care if their artwork is good or bad or sideways. Right. Like I'm a fan of it, you yeah. know, like, um, I'm a fan of, you know, like living artists making record sales at an auction, you know, like I, part of me gets jealous of them, but mostly I'm like, Hey, that's, that's a culture worker making money. Excellent. I agree um, with you. Like you said, they can label you how they want to as well. I agree with you on that because nothing's wrong with making a living off of what you do. Yeah. And nothing's wrong with a few people who are making a living off of what you do, like breaking through and making like serious cash. Right. It's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was my, that was my reaction. Initial. And then like, and then I liked watching sort of the train wreck of opinions um, <laughs> because, of course, segments of the gallery world are going to like, you know, have problems with NFTs selling for so much because they thought they had the rich people as their clients and they thought they were the gatekeepers, you know, yeah, or like the middlemen. Yeah. I read people's opinions. You could write some people's opinions for them. You're like, oh, I, <laughs> I know how they're going to react yeah, because yeah. they don't understand. If someone doesn't understand Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to begin with, they're not going to understand NFTs. And yeah, so like pretty you, much. Get a, you get a Bitcoin denying gallerist, you know, and you ask them their opinion of NFTs. And of course, it's not going to be favorable. Right. So... You know, I liked watching that, you know, like, and I, I did some serious reading on the technology behind the NFTs and, you know, have contemplated doing more of them um, because, you know, I've got all this imagery that I've made from cut up money. Like, it's kind of a no brainer to like make NFTs out of it and, well, and, and, um, and have... move those along to you know other people who appreciate the, right. the toppling of fiat. Not that I'm trying to topple fiat but like well my worldview like is yeah. that i think it's just another currency just like the fiat is you know it's just another way of exchanging something for something for something to get something to get something yeah it's another valuable thing it's another valuable thing that's, you know like that's people still people still have gold people know? still own gold people yeah. still seek gold yeah. still seek platinum so it's I, I just think it's just another thing in that space yeah. personally totally know? totally agreed so uh let's see here um Hmm. This is the philosophical question that I brought up earlier. Can the viewer be interested in a piece of art that's meaningful and can be entertained by him? 100%. Yes. Why? Well, artwork, you know, artwork is always something that, I mean, artwork doesn't really happen until the, a viewer is looking at it. You know, artwork right. happens in a person's brain. Right. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't entirely happen on the artist's table. 
it's always a dialogue, you know, like it's the same, you know, like you can be walking down the street and see like, you know, I don't know, um, uh, you know, the way frost is formed on a window and it looks cool and you appreciate it, you know? So, I mean, that's what's happening in your brain. It's not, you know, an artist didn't intend that to happen. Mm. You know, the right paint splatter, accidental paint splatter on the street, you know, can look really cool, you know, like the bright, you know, like thing, you know, pile of leaves rotting in an interesting way, whatever, you know, like that's all, that's all happening in the, in the viewer's brain and the, you know, the art, that an artist makes, you know, like it doesn't, you know, if the artist is like, thinks that the viewer is reading it wrong, then that's, you know, I think more of a problem for the artist than a problem with the viewer. Yeah. I but, have to agree with you on that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always like sort of pumping the audience for feedback. I love Instagram for that. Yeah. You know, I love asking whether I should do this or that, you know, I ask for titles from my, from my crowd, you know, like, I'm regularly sending photographs of what I'm working on to, you know, friends um, to, you know, get their feedback and make sure like things are going well. Yeah, very, the viewers, you know, should be, you know, metaphorically in the room with me as I'm making things. Hmm. I like that idea. I like that approach. The metaphorically should be in the room with you when you're making it. I mean, if you're well, on the things that I'm making for them, I mean, I make things for myself and like, oh, who okay. cares? Like, I'm, you know, well, it's for yourself. It's my hobby. It's for myself, like yeah. making it the way that I want. But, you know, like I'm very conscious of my, of my audience. Now you have me doing some pondering. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is a question that uh, I, when I wrote this, I, I really was actually curious about this or what your response would be. And um, it's like, what's something people don't understand about your work? Something that people don't understand about my work. Um, oh, you can edit out the ums. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> You're going to make my um, life harder now, right? <laughs> I don't. It's okay if they don't understand things about my work. That's fine. That's good. That's good. It's, um, that was uh, the response I was not expecting. <laughs> they don't, they don't need to. I pointedly don't want them to understand everything about my work. I think it's not good art if you can understand it completely. Hmm. I remember my friend Justin, who's a poet, writer in general, but he was talking about poetry. He was like, it's not like a video game. Like you don't win a poem. He teaches poems, you know, he's teaching a class to yeah. class and they're reading a poem. They're like, want to come up with a solution for it and know the thing at the end and hmm. get to the prize and win. He's like, you don't win a poem, you know, like it's there. So like, I don't know. I, I want people, I don't, no one needs to know everything about my work, you know, like hmm. I want them to, you know, like come and look at it probably because it's cool, but then I want them to like hang out with it and like have a reason to come back to it. And, you know, like, I want them to be thinking about it, you know, like a week later, pop up and be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's ah. the, what's the, why is, uh, peacocks are kind of show-offs, aren't they? You know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, no, they're right. so, you know, like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with whatever. Like, I mean, at the base of it, like some people think that my work is digital. <laughs> like if they see images online, like that's a mistake that people make. No, and, I would, and I would call that a mistake because, like, it's anti-computer as far as, like, this work goes. Well, and I can attest. I mean, I'm in your studio, and I don't I, – I do actually see one, but it's closed. You know? uh, yeah, I'm not anti – I'm not a Luddite, <laughs> but, like, um, 
but like I, these, all this work is made there's patience behind it. So, I mean, that's one thing. And then another thing is, um, oh, a lot of people, they think that I'm not using real money. Yeah. They think that I'm using, like, that I'm reproducing money and using that. And so that, well, you know, I, can I would attest. Call, that, call that a mistake too. Yeah, I can attest it's real money. But those are, you know, like, I don't, you know, I don't care if, if someone has a misconception, yeah. you know, sometimes I see people, you know, like, squabble about it online and <laughs> that's fun too. You know, like, no, 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 it's real money. That can't be real money. You right, couldn't eat the popcorn, yeah. <laughs> or like I, I love going to my art shows and like standing and listening to people talk. You know, you see like some art school kids in front of a piece and they'd be like, no, he's got to use a computer program to figure all this stuff out. But he's got an algorithm to like fit those shapes together. Oh my goodness. And um, like, I'm interested in, I'm interested in the wrongness. No, I could see that now thinking about it. Yeah. It's how they're interpreting what they're seeing. Yeah, it's about the conversation. It's about you know, the conversation. Like, yeah, I want to. I don't want to be right, <laughs> but I don't want to be wrong. All right. So uh, this is my favorite question that I've you know we talked about, and you said that you may not be able to answer this one. What advice would you give your past self and to other artists? Um, advice to give to my past self? How far past? I don't know. Like um, any, you pick the time and place. Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, no, that's that's that would be advice to give to your past like, self. Learn about computers, like <laughs> so caught up on spelling, like all dumb stuff. You know, advice to myself. Well, no, that's that's valid. It's basically, like, it's don't, like, I don't know. Like, I think back to when I was a kid and how like over respect for the authority figures at the beginning of the classroom made me not ask questions. Hmm. You know, so like I wouldn't bother giving myself too much like art advice <laughs> that's fair that's fair <laughs> uh read more <laughs> yeah. eat your vegetables maybe yeah, I'm, I'm, i like vegetables yeah and i wouldn't bother giving myself too much advice about art advice to others you know like i don't know like are you you advice to like young artists or, or yeah, it could like, be young artists old artists it could be people in the game uh not in the game who are just starting out i meant and you know who've been in it for a very long time if you have any advice you would want to give to them, you can. Right. Um, or you could say, no, I don't want to give them any advice. No, it's, 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 it's fun. Like, I like having this job, you know, talk to people who run their own business. You mm. know, like all of the things about being a professional artist is synonymous with uh, being a small business person, you know, as far as like all the practical concerns, you know, and then learn those practical concerns. Like, you know, learn how to do your taxes right. Learn what you can deduct. You know, like fill out your Schedule C. Right. You know, like business um, license, IP. Uh, yeah. Commons. Yeah. Some of that stuff, and then just like you got to be practical. You know, like the art that you're that you make when you're in art school is one thing, and the te the professors there are like sort of encouraging you to to explore, and that's super important. Like exploring is super important. I got kids, and they're like little exploring machines. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like but analogy. at some point you have to start exploiting mm. and that's where you, you know, that's where you get paid for your work. Innovation is not like, is not the goal. Getting a paycheck is the goal or like reaching your audience is a goal. No one's going to eat, you know, innovative cakes. They want delicious cakes. At some point, you know, when you're done with art school, you know, or towards the end of it, you start thinking about like how you're going to make it work. You know, what you're going to, what you're going to chase after. It doesn't mean that you're, you're not going to explore anymore. But the art for art's sake should should phase out then, you mm. know, okay. in my opinion, practically. Well, yeah. It's 
tough. Like I think of, I watch my kids and they're little exploring machines. Like they're brilliant. I really want to force them to do more of the brilliant things, uh, but it's, I can't. I'm like, no, because you, you can't switch their brains from being exploring things to exploiting things. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's okay to it's okay to want to like make some money from what you do in the studio. It's a good thing. It feels good to make money. And so like, it's not bad to like have money making in mind when you, when you're going to the studio, you know, like you can still make fulfilling artwork, even if you're making fulfilling artwork that you think somebody will be interested in buying. That's, that's actually really good advice you just gave right there. Thanks. I think about it a lot. And like, I have these conversations with don't say yourself. With kids. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it's important to hear someone say that because, you know, when you're in art school, your professors are, you know, they've got tenured jobs. They don't have to, like, make it in the marketplace. Um, so, like, some of those things get downplayed or even, like, um, you know, the, your, the nose turned up at them. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, in the, you know, in the wilderness, got to make money. Yep. You got to learn how to rub those two rocks together to make a fire to survive in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you got some shows coming up. Yeah, I've got, um, I mean, I've always got stuff in the works. And I've got a show at Betsy Jacaruso Studio and Gallery, Rhinebeck, New York, uh, this holiday season. So please, if you're in the neighborhood, go check that out. Yep. It's called Tripping Wilderness. And it's all animals and nature, you know, but taken to the nth degree of weirdness tripping wilderness curated by todd pavlisko uh, who's a great artist and it's got some great artists in the show looking forward to that and in my current hometown of lancaster pennsylvania in may i will have a show at the lancaster museum of art which will be finished collages but hanging next to the notes and background materials for those collages. So it'll be a process show, um, which I'm super excited about. Uh, we've touched on it throughout the whole interview about you being processed. And uh, that is, uh, I, I'm writing it down. You said May. Is this, so this is a solo show. Um, yeah, it's a solo show okay. at the Lancaster Museum of Art. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. One hour's drive west of Philadelphia. Or two and a half from D.C. Yeah, two and a half from D.C., uh, an hour and a half from Baltimore, uh, and it's on the Amtrak train. And That's right. It's on Amtrak, too. Yeah. So there's uh, what I would say that um, I can't do a call to action, per se, but I can say that uh, it's happening, and you should, if you happen to be in the area. Yeah, please. Please. Well, thank you again, sir. I appreciate this. I appreciate it, too. I want to say thank you to Mark for taking the time to do the interview. To see Mark's work and learn more about him, go to his website at markwagnerinc.com. And don't forget to check out his Instagram at markwagnerinc. To hear past episodes and the full interview with Mark, go to the website at artboxdnv.com. And don't forget, Artbox is on Instagram at artboxdnv. So, until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.